0: Good to see y'all here today, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do be turning to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. This is going to be a very familiar story to you. We'll begin to read here after a while. But I've got something that was handed to me while ago that I would like to share with y'all today. This goes like this. A little old lady had just returned home from an evening church service when she was startled by an intruder. And she, as as she caught the man in the midst of robbing her home, she said, yelled, Stop! Acts 238. That's the one that goes repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord so that your sins may be forgiven. The burglar stopped dead in his tracks. The woman calmly called the police to explain explain what she had done. As the officer cuffed the man to take him in, he asked the burglar, why did you just stand there? All the old lady did was yell, Scripture? Scripture, replied the burglar, stunned. She said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. Thank you, Bonnie Hayes, for sharing that with us today. Matthew, the 14th chapter. We'll begin reading in a minute. I want to share with y'all this evening what I believe to be Jesus' favorite word. Now, we find this word throughout the Old Testament. We find this word throughout the New Testament. And I lift up for your consideration today that Jesus' favorite word was and is come. 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 For example, in Matthew 4, 19, Jesus told the disciples, come, follow me. In Mark 10, 14, Jesus told the little children, suffer the little children to come unto me. In in Isaiah 55, 1, as well as John 7, 37, Jesus says to all those who are thirsty, they are told to come. Come. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus tells all who are weary and heavy burdened, they are told to come. In Luke 14, 17, Jesus tells all those who are hungry to come to the banqueting table. In Mark 6, 31, Jesus invites all those that need rest to come. You remember in Luke 19, 5, when Zacchaeus had climbed the sycamore tree, Jesus told him, come down, make haste." And in Revelation twenty two seventeen, 17, the Bible ends with the invitation to come for the free gift of the water of life. If you have your Bibles today, open them to Matthew, the 14th chapter, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. This is going to be a very familiar story. Y'all there, amen? amen? And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples, or compelled his disciples, to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, or by himself to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, or the middle of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea... They were troubled, saying, It is a spirit or a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, or take courage, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind blusterous or violent, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind seized. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Keep your Bibles open there. We're going to be looking at this text plus some other scripture here in a minute. Let me visit with you today about Jesus' favorite word. Now, in our text, we find that Jesus had just got done with the miracle of feeding the 5000. Matthew as well as John in their gospel writings begin telling this narrative that they they tell us that after Jesus feeds the 5000, they want to make him king. And because of that, this is why Jesus made his disciples enter into a boat and head to the other side. You know, some of the most important lessons that you will learn, that I will learn in this life will come after a mountaintop experience, after a great spiritual victory. You remember Elijah. He was up on the mountain, and the next minute he was running from Jezebel. Oftentimes we too, After a spiritual mountaintop experience, it is followed by a crash in the valley. Let's piece together what was taking place in this scene that unfolds in front of us by comparing Matthew, Mark, and John's, uh, each one of them wrote about this exciting event, and, and let's look at the relation between the three. You recall we just read in Matthew twenty four and twenty five there in chapter fourteen, the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And Mark he wrote in six forty eight, then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. John wrote in John six nineteen, so when they had rowed about three or four miles, They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. All three of these counts, when you put them side by side, give us a picture. And that picture is that it's late, it's dark, it's stormy, and Jesus is not with them. Now, remember with me, the last time that they had a storm of this magnitude, when they were in the boat out in the sea, Jesus was with them. You remember that that he was in the back behind her part of the boat asleep. You recall that. But he was with them. And, and I'm sure at this point in the text, while they're out there in the middle of this storm, they're they're asking themselves, Where is he? Where is he? Why isn't he here? Well, That's what Satan does to us all the time. Where is Jesus at in your storm? You know, Jesus said he would never leave you. He would never forsake you. But where is he? Satan is saying to us, it looks like you're going through some terrible times, some difficult times, some hard times, some rough times. And where is Jesus in all of this that you're going through? You see... The devil wants to make us think that Jesus has abandoned us during the storms and the trials in our lives. But Jesus is going to teach us, as well as Peter, a very valuable lesson. Whether we can see him or not, whether we can sense his presence or not, nevertheless, Jesus is always with us. Now here they are out there in the middle of the ocean in this storm. And Jesus already knew they were struggling, that they were were trying to roll in the storm. Matter of fact, truth be told, Jesus is the one that sent them out there. Do you remember that? We read that. Jesus told them, get in the boat and go to the other side. So he sent them into the storm. I tell you that to say this. Jesus is always interested in revealing more about himself to us. But here's the thing. For him to do that, he has to put us in situations that make us uncomfortable. For instance, we cannot know that Jesus is a great physician unless we need healing. We we can't know he's the great provider until we're in need. We can't know he's the great redeemer until we realize that we need to be rescued. We cannot know he's the great comforter until we have turmoil in our life. And the Bible tells us that immediately Jesus made these disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he went back and dismissed the crowd. Now, after he dismissed the crowd, the Bible says that he went up on the side of a mountain to pray by himself. When evening came, he's there all alone, but this boat is already out there in the middle of this lake. It's a considerable distance from land, three or four miles, and the wind is buffeting, uh, and the waves are buffeting uh, against this, this, this boat. But I want you to notice something. Their struggle did not go unnoticed. Jesus apparently was watching everything that happened to them from his perch up there on that mountainside. And this should serve to teach us that when tough times in life come, when storms break and we think we're going down, Jesus is watching. You know, when when we get those phone calls in the middle of the night, you ever had one of those? About 2 o'clock in the morning, 9 times out of 10, it is never going to be good news. You know, not too many people call you up 2 o'clock in the morning and go, Oh, good evening. Hi, how are you doing? Just wanted to chat for a minute. You know, but Jesus is watching. When we go to the doctor and we get that bad news, or our family seem to be falling apart, or we think that the world is, is coming gonna come plumbing down around us, folks. Jesus sees. Jesus knows all about the storms we go through. You know, you are you familiar with that old song, the lyrics to that old song? His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching over me. In fact, there is nowhere that you can go to get out of the sight of God. Remember the word of the psalmist. Well, let's just turn there and read it. We ain't got nothing else to do. Let's turn to Psalm 139, verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. The 139th Psalm, verse 7. Y'all there, amen? Amen. Mm -hmm. 139.7 It says, If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand pull me. Here's the good news. Jesus did not just watch. He did not just watch. He, did, he just didn't see what they were going through. You know, he acted. He acted. Now go back to, go back to our attack. Get out of 139 and go back to our text. Because Jesus did not just watch. He he didn't just see what they were going through, but he acted. It says that he came down from that mountainside. He came down and he walked across the surface of those stormy waters. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never felt closer to Jesus than when I'm in the middle of a wreck. When I'm in in a time of crisis. You know, He doesn't just notice my problems, but He acts. He draws us near. He does not leave us alone in the midst of our struggles. He does not say, well, you got yourself into this mess because all the bad things you've been doing, so get yourself out of it. He does not leave us alone. You know, when we feel like we're about to drown in the circumstances that we are in or in the, the situations that we're in, but He acts. He comes to our rescue. He He comes to see about us time and time and time again. And He promises never to leave us and never to forsake us. And He don't. We also learn from this text that Jesus has a way of showing up and doing the unexpected. Listen to me now. You think with all that Jesus has done in this short period, you know, uh, uh, of here on earth, we would stop being surprised by the fact that he does do ministry and shows up in ways we don't expect. You remember with me in the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, you remember when Jesus talked to the woman at the well? Y'all remember that? Better shake your head yes or you're going to have a sermon coming. John 4, he's talking to that woman at the well. Well, how how could he do that? How could he do that? You know, it it was unacceptable to speak to a woman at that time. You know, and, and, and to a hated Samaritan woman, that even made it worse. You know, if you look at that passage, you will see a word that told the disciples' reaction to this. In one word, it was surprise. They were surprised that Jesus would do that. Yet, the the Bible tells us that because Jesus spoke to this woman, she went back to the town she came from and she testified about him and, and, and the entire town was testified to about her meeting with Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus went to the house of the dead child. And he tried to convince everyone that the child was just sick. And what did they do? They mocked him. But the child lived, why? Because of his power. You know, he ate with the dreaded tax collector Zacchaeus. Oh, that really stirred everybody up. Especially the religious people. They could not understand why. How could he pollute himself by eating with a sinner such as a dreaded tax collector, yet Jesus brought salvation to Zacchaeus' entire household because of that day. You know, he healed on the Sabbath. And people were asking, how could he heal on the Sabbath? Could it be because there were people that needed his touch and it just happened to be the Sabbath day? Or, you know... And here's the other thing. Jesus had just done the miracle of feeding 5,000 people. He had five loaves of bread and he had two fishes. And what did he do? He told the disciples to feed the crowd. You see, how, how could this be done? What they did, they placed this situation in the hands of Jesus And the amazing thing is, the Bible tells us that they had food left over. If I'm right, it was 12 basketfuls. So, he did so many miraculous things. Even on this day, we see him walking on the water. And, And the thing about it is, the disciples had seen Jesus do all of these miraculous deeds and they had seen him work in unconventional ways, yet when they saw him walking on the water, they did not know who it was. What did they say? Oh my goodness, it's a ghost. Here we are out in the middle of this lake being tossed and thrown everywhere by all this wind. The rain poured down, and now we're going to get eaten up by a ghost. What are we going to do? Even though Even though Jesus had promised to return to them, they still did not recognize or understand that it was Jesus. He said he would return to them on the other side, yet they didn't think this could be Jesus. Now, let's be honest. They figured that meant that he would rock around the lake or something. You know, we figured just like the disciples, that meant they would see Jesus sometime in the morning because it would take him a while to get there. But Jesus did what he always did. He surprised them. He did the unexpected. He worked in a way more powerful and more unconventional than they could even begin to imagine. This says to me this evening that I need to trust that Jesus will go to great lengths for me, but in His way and on His time. You know, I cannot control Him. I cannot force Jesus to give me what I want when I want it. I just need to have consistent faith. That's what I need to have. It tells me that I may be special... You may be special. Jesus may communicate in a way that suits us, but that does not mean that we're going to get what we want. I cannot try to box the Lord in to how to fix my problems, how to solve my issues. So we, we, we have to stop looking in only one direction and let the Lord move and bless us. Because Jesus works in unconventional ways. And, and, and our faith must be prepared for that at all times. Now the disciples were always around him. They had heard his teachings. They had been a part of his kingdom work. However, they were still missing who he was. And that is the danger of we face. There is a way to always be around Jesus, get me now, without knowing Now you think about this. You say, well, how how can we do that? You can do it in Sunday worship service. You can do it in Bible study. You can do it in community mission work. You know, all of them things are good things. But there is a way for us to be around all those good things without really getting to know the best thing. And the best thing is Jesus himself. He's right there before our very eyes. But we completely miss him. The danger is maybe we're serving Jesus and we know all about him. But we really don't know him. In a very real way. We're in this boat with the disciples today. Trying to make headway from and through the storm. But then in the midst of the storm, the disciples not understanding and their hearts still doubting, Jesus walks up to them on the water. Ladies and gentlemen, we need Jesus to walk on the water today. Amen. Amen. We need that. Sometimes we think, that the only way that, 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 that we can come near, that Jesus can come near to us, is when we're living in perfect faith and perfect obedience. If we're having time in His Word every day. If we're sharing the gospel with others and not sinning. I want to tell you something. Jesus will cross any barrier to meet us. Most of those barriers are barriers that we have put up ourselves, that we have constructed. He will come not to... Just when we're living in obedience, but also when we are in the darkest times and the darkest struggles that we can be in. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot get so far away, you cannot get so far down, you cannot get so far away from any kind of hope. That Jesus Christ can't pick you up out of the muck and the mire, put his arm around you, and say there is still enough left to salvage, and I'm going to help you. Amen. You can't do that. But our text says that Jesus comes to them, and when was it? It was the fourth hour, or the fourth watch of the night. That means it it would have been the last few hours of the night prior to daylight. We're talking like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. And the disciples saw Jesus walking toward them on the water not realizing who He was. What did the Bible say? They cry out and say, It's a spirit! That's what they thought. They were terrified. Someone cried out, It's a ghost! Well... That's wrong, but it wasn't really a bad guess. But after all, it's not every day that you see someone strolling across the lake in the middle of a storm. And here he was. They were terrified of this figure approaching them in the middle of the steep. But what does the Bible say? Jesus spoke to them immediately. And look what he says. He says, Be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. Now this next point really fascinates me. I don't know what y'all think about that, but I think that's a very strange statement. Do y'all not find a certain amount of oddity about that? The disciples have been in the midst of this severe storm. They have wrote all night. They are exhausted. And now they're fearful because they believe that they see a ghost-slash-spirit walking up to them on the water. I imagine they're thinking, well, this is how it's going to end for us, right here, right now. Or I imagine they're thinking, this ghost has come to usher us into the next life. Or maybe they were thinking this spirit is coming for their very souls because they're not going to make it out of this storm alive. And here Jesus utters this very strange uh, uh, thing. He says, Be of good cheer. You know, and that's what the King James that I read to you from said be of good cheer. Uh, and, and, And you may not realize that, but that is a command from Jesus be of good cheer. Cheer comes from a Middle English word meaning move. So the phrase literally means, instead of be of good cheer, he's saying be in a good mood. Be in a good mood. You know, in other translations it says take courage or take heart. But Jesus used that expression seven times in the New Testament. And every time he used that, be of good cheer, it was an imperative. Or it was a command. Now, be of good cheer. Think about that. Now I told you that meant be in a good mood. Whether you realize it or not, that might be one of the hardest commands of Jesus to keep. Now let me explain what I mean. It's hard to be in a good mood when the pressures of life start. Weighing you down. But listen to me. If he expects his disciples to take heart. When they lived in poverty. When they were pressed down by Roman dominance. And harassed by the legalism of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. He expects us to take heart today. You know. Disciples are fearing for their lives in this story. Jesus says, check your mood. When you're down to your last dollar and you don't know what to do, Jesus is saying, check your mood. When you are at odds with your neighbor, can't get along, Jesus is saying, check your mood. When you're facing that judge Monday morning, hoping he don't throw the book at you, Jesus is saying, check your mood. When you have been laid off from that good-paying job, Jesus says, check your mood. When you're in the farming and ranching business, and it seems like it's never going to rain again, Jesus says, check your mood. When others are hard to get along with, Jesus is saying, check your mood. You see... We we have here a word of comfort to some terrified believers who were where the Lord had sent them. Now I want you to think about this. They had been willing to put out to sea. Though it was probably calm enough at the time to do that, they did not want to leave Jesus. So he constrained them to go. He compelled them to go, and thus their sailing was not merely under his his sanction, but it was by his express command. Get in the boat and get out of here. So they were in the right place. They were where Jesus told them to be, but yet they met with a terrible storm. This is what we need to recognize in this command of Jesus to be of good cheer. The disciples were in the right place. Exactly where they needed to be. They were where Jesus had told them to go. Now they needed to be in the right position. Uh Uh-oh. What's that mean? Well, oftentimes we are where we're supposed to be. We are where Jesus tells us to be, but we're out of position. Why? Because what did I tell you all ago? To check your mood? Our mood is incorrect. What am I doing here in church on a Wednesday night when I could be sitting at the house? Why do I go to that revival in church that lasts a week? We do the same thing every year. Why am I working for the church when nobody else is doing anything and nobody's backing me up? Nobody's supporting me. Why am I doing this for the church? No one appreciates what I do. I work so hard. When we're in the right place where God told us to be, our position, our mood is not right to receive God's blessing. Here's a footnote before we examine the final point of the evening. So they were where Jesus told them to do. They found themselves in the deepest of peril. They're desperate. And you must not think, give me now, you must not think that you are in the wrong position because you are in trouble. Do not consider those adverse circumstances that you're going through as proof that you have missed your road. For they may even be the evidence you are in a good old way since the path of believers is seldom without trial. You know, you you would do well to embark, to leave the shore, but remember... Though your Lord has insured the vessel and has guaranteed that you will reach your haven, nowhere does He promise that you're going to sail on a sea of glass. On the contrary, the Bible tells us, you can turn there if you want to, in the Gospel of John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. There's that term again. I have overcome the world. So this group of, of his, his believers, his 12 handpicked dudes, are rowing and rowing and rowing. And it was no fault of their own that they didn't make any progress. Why is that? Because the Bible says that the wind was contrary to them. You know, the Christian may make little headway or no headway, and yet it won't be because of something we've done. It will be because the wind is contrary to us. And our Lord will take the will for the deed and wrecking our progress not by our apparent advances but by the hearty intent which we tug at those oars. In other words, we got to keep rolling. Oftentimes we struggle in our prayer. We groan and we try to get that prayer up there that we need to get up there, but Jesus has offered the best prayer. Oftentimes we try to win people to Christ, and it seems like it is fruitless. It just seems like it can't be done. But our zeal is acceptable, if it, it just as if it had convinced a whole nation. Often, when we do good and we find pre- evil present with us, there is good in our desire. But let me tell you something: if we just throw the wind, the oars up in the air and drift with the wind. That's another whole thing. But if the Lord sees us towing, He sees us rowing, albeit that we're not going anywhere. Progress is not being made. He has never a word to say against His servant, but He will bid them be of good cheer. Take courage. Take heart. Now, one final point. Now I've got to get out of here. We got to talk about Peter. We just got to talk about Peter. Well, Peter, with his boldness, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to come unto thee on the water. Now, just think about this for a minute. Peter asked to get out of the boat. Gerald, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a perfectly good boat and there's a storm and wind blowing and rain pouring down, the last thing I'm gonna do is get out of the boat. That's that's like I think people are crazy that go to jump out of an airplane to parachute. I don't see no reason to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. And if I do, I'm going to grab a set of jumper cables because they ain't never got it set out of my toolbox. They didn't get hung up on something before I got them out of there. I want to ask you a very serious question. When was the last time you asked Jesus, what can I do for you? Have you ever thought about that? When was the last time You ask Jesus if you could do something for Him. Or are you just complaining about what you have to do for Him? You know, we're always asking Jesus for something. Lord, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Get me out of here. Lord, I'm in financial trouble. Help me out. Lord, I'm sick. Help me get well. Don't you think It's about time for us to say, Jesus, what can I do for you? Now you notice what Peter does here. You notice it says in the Bible, that little itty-bitty word, if, if it is you, Lord. In other words, this was not doubting. That it was Jesus. This was said in an attempt to ensure that Peter does not get ahead of Jesus. You know, perhaps because of the wind, Peter couldn't really recognize Jesus' voice. Perhaps because of the rain that was beating down on the waves... It distorted the voice of Jesus. But Peter has enough sense to wait long enough and recognize that it is Jesus that he's talking to. You know, we have to learn how to identify the voice of the Lord before we're sent out. You know, a lot of times we'll we'll blame Jesus for a whole lot of stuff. A whole lot of things that he never said. You know, we falter and we fail because we went out, we responded to the wrong voice. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Peter says, if. Yeah. That was very critical because Peter was, was about to ask The next thing, and that was dependent upon the response He says, if, if, if it be thou bid me to come unto you on the water. And let me tell you something, that is tremendous faith that Peter is exhibiting. You know, for the rest of the disciples, it was enough. It was enough. Most of the disciples were content to trust that it was Jesus that was speaking to him. But of course, Peter, he had to push the envelope. You know, that that thing, it was always Peter needing to push the envelope. If it's you, Lord, have me walk on the water to you. What is he thinking? But Jesus says, Okay, Peter, come. Peter actually walks on water for a few steps. But he remembers that he's in the midst of a storm. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He got distracted. And he begins to sink. And he yells out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out and pulls them out of the water. And when they get back in the boat, the wind dies down, sea calms down, and those in the boat recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. But here's the deal. Of the 12 guys that were in that boat, only Peter had the courage to take his step. And here's the thing. He knew it was going to be tough. He knew that something supernatural was going to have to happen. He knew that that in order for him to be successful, that, that Jesus was going to help him. But he's sitting there looking. He sees Jesus standing out there on the water. Come on, Peter. Peter thinks, well, if Jesus can do it, there's a little ray of hope for me. Even though his name means rock, which they generally sink in the water, Oh, y'all, come on, loosen up. That was better than that. <laughs> but he took that step out in faith, trusting that Jesus would not let him down. And you, you think about this Peter accomplished something greater than any other human being on the face of the earth. He walked on the water. Maybe not very far. But he walked on the water. I have a good story to tell you, but I can't. I ain't got time. Maybe next time. Church, what I'm telling you this evening is this. If you dare to step out of the boat, step out of church as usual, step out of that queue and trust Jesus to supply the power. You see, you will accomplish great things And you will see great things happen, not only in your life, but in this church. You remember a few Sundays ago, in our church series, I told you that we've got to get out of the church. We've got to step out from the status quo. Now I want you to understand, Peter's not being impetuous here. It's not as if he jumps out of the boat and he starts walking. If he'd have done that, that would have been very foolish. That would have been very presumptuous. You notice that Matthew is very clear and he says that he asked for permission first. If Jesus says no, then Peter stays in the boat. But Jesus didn't say no. He says come. Now, if I would have been in his shoes and Jesus would have told me to come, I'm not sure that I would have done that. I would have probably said, okay, Jesus, you got me. You call my bluff. I'm pretty good right where I'm at. Or I might have said, okay, Lord, stop playing around now. Don't, Don't play like that. No. But Peter has to come out on the water and Jesus simply says, come. Come. I want you to understand this about the word come. It's really just another way of saying, you can do it. It's your turn. Peter, start. Peter jump. Peter go. Quit making excuses. Break out of your fears. Live your faith. And you know what? Jesus Christ is saying the same thing to us today. The exact same thing. His simple message has not changed. What is the word? Come. Jesus says, Come to the next level of your Christian walk. Jesus says, Come, draw closer to me. He's not inviting us to come home. You know, he, he, he's, he's saying, Come home to the Father today. That's what he's saying. If you need salvation, Jesus says come. If you need peace in your life, Jesus says come. If you need healing, Jesus says come. If you're living far away from God, Jesus says come. No matter how far away from God you think you are. Maybe you think you're so far away that you can't reach. And we've already talked about that. (laughs) Jesus is simply saying, Come. I'm here. I'm ready. Take that leap of faith. And let me show you what I can do. Let's pray again. Father God, we just thank you. For this time that we've had today to spend in your Word, Father, we just thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, all the blessings that you bestow upon us, Father. Father, while ago we had our time of prayer request and we mentioned several folks and we prayed for them, but Father, we need to be praying for this nation. We need to be praying for this election Tuesday, Father. And I pray your will be done. I just lift up all of our government officials, all government leaders to you, our judges, Father. I, I pray that they seek your guiding hand. Father, I also pray for rain that we desperately need, that only you can send. Father, I just pray as we leave this place that you'll just watch over us, Father, that you'll care for us, that you'll continue to protect us in this very challenging time that we're living in, Father. Father, forgive us where we fit. And we'll give you all the glory and honor and praise. In your son's name we pray. Amen.